This is the Omnichannel Marketer, the show where we get real about what it takes to build a brand, create a seamless omnichannel experience, and drive customer LTV across D2C, Amazon, and retail. I'm Kate Stevens, the CEO of Bridge. Join me for unfiltered conversations from the trenches of e-commerce. We'll unpack strategy and leave you with tactical advice you can use today to drive your business forward. Let's rock and roll. Hi, everyone. This is Kate Stevens. Welcome back to another episode of the Omnichannel Marketer. Today, I'm excited to have Michael Weeder on the show, co-founder of Lalo. Michael, welcome. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you on. I'm actually, you know, both a fan of the brand personally. My daughter, we have your Lalo chair, but, you know, would love to hear a little bit more about your inspiration. You know, what's your background and your inspiration for Lalo? Yeah. So my background and my co-founder's background, we, neither of us were in product or baby or any of that before. So my background, personally, I started my career in sports and entertainment. I was a music manager, a sports agent. I produced events, did talent buying at South by Southwest for big brands, things like that. I was an entrepreneur. I owned my own company before becoming a sports agent. That was my first business. I started in college, managing musicians, producing events. And I became a sports agent, left that to get back into my entrepreneurial roots, started a fitness tech company that I bootstrapped and did on my own, kind of testing out a theory. It was a class pass competitor based in New York. And then left that and joined an early stage startup called Way Up at the time. And that's where I met Greg, my co-founder. He was employee number four. I was employee number five. I was there for just over three years, all the way through Series B. Greg had left and went on to Artsy, where he was their VP of, of partnerships. And then we relinked up for Lalo. And that was, you know, now is probably about six years ago where it was the seed of an idea. And we're coming up on our fourth birthday as a public brand and since launch, but, uh, you know, the, the seed of an idea started, you know, a couple years before we actually brought it to the world. And talk to me about where that idea came from and, you know, a little bit more about Lalo as a brand. Yeah. So it really started, Greg and I both at the time didn't have children. So we both now have two children, which is very exciting. But at the time we saw friends and family kind of going through this process and this huge life step. And we're like, okay, well, we're going to be there really soon. And this seems crazy. Like they're buying so much stuff. They don't even know what they're buying, how much it costs, when they need to use it. And there's, we don't know any of the brands going into it. So we started diving in and we felt there was a disconnect between the way the brands were interacting with the customers, the stories they were telling and the way, you know, that ultimately the service they were providing. It was really focused on products. It was focused on kind of selling anxiety and you know, your kid's not going to sleep unless you buy this, or they're not going to eat unless you buy that. And there were these like product, like these special products. And that was it. It was like the best for this, the best for that. And no one shops like that for anything. So we're like, this is backwards. We got to fix this. And we dove into it and we started surveying, you know, parents at the time we were able to look at that very objectively and kind of look at different people's opinions and kind of piece it all together to find the common threads of truth and ultimately kind of create the thesis around building our brand. And that was really where we started first was the white space was about the connection between the brand and consumer it wasn't about a single product. And that kind of helped create the vision of what we were building. And so, you know, how did you think about acting on the, that white space? So I think at the beginning, you know, one thing that's really interesting is that they're in talking to people in the startup world, especially in the consumer brand world, D2C world, so to speak, or digitally native brands, 
so many people at that time were like, what branding agency are you going to work to? Who's going to write the manifesto and the brand guidelines and all this? And we were like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, and we really uncovered at that point that founders need to be able to tell the story. Like you need to be able to define the brand and tell the story, you know, some paying someone six figures to put some stuff into a PDF for you does not build a business plan or a brand. So, you know, we took meetings with all those fancy agencies and got to hear their, their brilliant minds speak, you know, not to knock them. They, there are some really smart, creative people that work there, but it helped fuel the way that we wanted to articulate the brand that we were creating. And ultimately, you know, we needed to feel really good about what we were building and how we were going to articulate it to the customer. So, you know, that's kind of how we got started. And really it goes back to that anxiety. We said, okay, all these brands are building through, you know, selling on this anxiety, building up this parental anxiety. We're going to sell through love. Like we're going to build connection going to be about love, celebrating milestones and the memories that we're here for. We're not going to be all about the medical, the, you know, all of those nuts and bolts and things that build up fear and anxiety. We were about building trust and love for the brand. I love that. So your exact same word. And there, there are so many special moments of love that, you know, parents experience with, you know, their babies. I can definitely relate to that. So, you know, Using that, where, like, what's the state of the business today? And, you know, how do you see things growing from there? Yeah. So, over the last four years, we've grown a ton. You know, the first year was definitely exciting. And, you know, we definitely felt like we accomplished a lot. But looking back, we certainly accomplished nothing. But it's good to remember to celebrate all along the way. Cause, you know, I was recently talking to someone who let me know a stat that 1% of businesses reach $7 million in seven years. So, I think it's important that, any business starting out, keep that in mind that if you ever make $7 million, you're in the top 1%. So I think that's a perspective that gets lost a lot, especially when you're in like a venture back world or, you know, world of, of hustling founders. And so, you know, we've grown a ton. We've far surpassed any expectation of where we would be. Last year, we launched 29 products. It's unbelievable to think that we have such a large catalog at this point when, you know, just about two years ago, we basically had three products basically our play chairs and our play table. So we've launched so much to be able to stay with our customer and continue to grow with them. And that's kind of where we've been focused is how do we continue to grow with our customer to be there for more memories and more milestones because there is so much to celebrate. So, you know, your digitally native brand, you launched D2C first. Why did you pick that channel first? And, you know, how do you think about channel expansion from there? Yeah. So for us, it was about building the connection with the customer. There's no way to do that if you're not directly talking to the customer. And to us, that's the advantage of D2C. It's not about cutting out the middleman. It's not about lower price. It's none of that. Because as you're seeing now, all those companies that did take that approach, they're now margin strapped and are going to never find profitability or they're going to have to dramatically increase prices. And then kind of the advantage that they had in the market goes away. So for us, it was really about building connection and being D to C first was the way that we were able to build a strong brand. Now, we also understand that our customer doesn't just shop at Lalo, right? So we have a really strong partnership with Babylist, which is the fastest growing online baby registry. One in two new parents register on Babylist. So we know we can capture 50% of new parent market by having a strong relationship with Babylist. But we also know that people don't just register on Babyless. So, you know, as we think about channel expansion, it's where can we be to be selling products to parents, but also to their gift givers, because gifting is so important in our space. And we also, you know, a big audience for us is grandparents. Grandparents love to buy things for their grandkids. So 
you know, where do grandparents shop? Where do they feel comfortable shopping? You know, where do they trust putting their credit card information? Those kinds of things are different through generations. So, you know, it has us looking at different channels and different retailers and things like that. And, but for us, it's always about the timing of it. You know, we've been approached for years from, from different retailers and have turned plenty of people down. And how do you think about the timing? For us, it's a little bit about brand scale, market share, brand awareness. You know, if you think of a channel, let's just use Amazon as an example. So more shopping searches start on Amazon than Google, right? So if you just like Google though, if you don't have organic search traffic going into a channel, it's going to be a lot harder to scale. But if you have that organic search traffic, you're going to have to put less into marketing, less into advertising on that channel. So for us being able to, you know, launch different channels when there already is velocity around the brand, it allows us to, to scale quicker. Um, so for us, that's been scale more efficiently as well, right? Pour less dollars in on the paid media side. And so, you know, as you're building this omni-channel brand on Babylist, on D2C, you know, in the future, how do you think about maintaining a consistent end-to-end brand experience with your customer? Yeah, so I think for us, brand experience doesn't just happen on the internet. You know, it start it may start on the internet, but it starts well before they decide to purchase. So for us, it's very circular, right? Because for our product and our customer, the power of word of mouth, I think, is amplified beyond any other category because where most parents, first-time parents in particular, start their shopping experience is by asking a friend or family member. It's one step ahead of them. What do I need? What brand? Like, what should I be looking at? Do you have your list of like things? That conversation happens every day, especially between moms. So for us, that brand experience, we need to make sure that every customer and everybody who hasn't, even people who haven't bought, have had a positive experience or a positive association with the Lalo brand. So by doing that, we come up in conversation. I love hearing stories of my friend, you know, they bought this other high chair, but they told me to check out yours. They would have bought it if it, you know, if they had decided, you know, if they had changed their mind or if they they didn't get this other one as a gift. That I love that because that means we're resonating with people that don't have our number one best-selling product, that they're going to come in for something else, that they're following along, that they're helping our flywheel of efficient growth happen even not as a customer. And that speaks to what we've built as a brand. So the touch points begin, you know, online, the imagery, the social media, the advertising, but it also comes through in the videos we make to help with assembly. How we think about producing product, even the product development side, you know, can we give one extra piece assembled or can we do something that makes it easier when it arrives? So that, you know, when you have, especially if you're doing it with a child, like, you don't want anything else to add frustration to your life. So we think about that a lot and it comes through in everything we do. And then of course, in our customer experience, our support and how we're there, if someone does have an issue or a problem with a shipment, a product assembly, how we show up for them is I would put Lalo against any brand in the way we show up. And I think we would win that 10 times out of 10. Um, and so I don't always interview customers, but you guys are a bridge customer. How do you think about bridge playing into this end to end customer experience that you're building? Yeah, I think it comes down to ease. So, you know, can we make the experience easier, whether that be for assembly, whether that be for product registration, whether that be for exploring and finding new products that you're going to need, right? So we understand that people may not have been exposed to our full catalog of product when they decided they wanted the high chair. Maybe that's the only thing they got exposed to. And they were only like looking through lists of top high chairs and they kept seeing our our high chair, but they didn't know we made bath products or 
playtime products or other items for your home. And all of a sudden now they got the high chair and they're like, oh, they also have a spot mat and some tableware and oh, I can eat that, add that really easily. So the ease of that experience is definitely enabled by Bridge. So thank you. I'm excited to hear about that. You're my first baby brand that I've interviewed and I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into you know any specificities around kind of the registry market. You know, I know it's specific like to baby list that you're um, that you're on, but registry is such a huge component, you know, as a new mom of how people buy, you know, their baby products. So what is unique about kind of the registry world and how do you guys think about being successful on registry? So the most unique thing is that the buyer, the person that swipes their credit card is not usually the end user. The other thing is that people edit their registry. So just because you're added to a registry doesn't mean you will make it to the end. Also the time frame. So people start building their registry sometimes from the day they find out they're pregnant. Some people will start even before when they're trying. That's an edge case. But usually they're starting to build a registry between their first and second trimester. And then by their third trimester, that's when most of the gifts are being purchased, leading up, usually leading up to a baby shower or birth. You know, however you're expecting your child, but you know, that's the predominant majority. So we have to work on capturing that person way ahead of the purchase. And then the purchase isn't even happening by then. So how do we close that loop is really hard. Finding out who that person is and bringing them back into our ecosystem, you know, can be harder. You know, we have to do a lot of we look through the data to kind of understand who might actually be a repeat customer. You know, we have people that come in and their first purchases for an extra cushion. We're like, wait, they never bought a high chair before, but obviously they received it as a gift. So that's certainly a really tricky nuance is kind of connecting the data and attribution and, you know, understanding, you know, who is that person, but there's, you know, incredible, incredible stats about, you know, that for us, parents are older than ever. The average age of a first-time mother is now 27.3. That's an all-time high. Birth rates have been reported to be falling, which is so untrue. Birth rates between of mothers 25 to 44 are up 5% in the last year. Where The reason birth rates have declined, quote-unquote, in the media and in the news is because birth rates of teen pregnancies are way, 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 way down. So you know, I'll just say this as it is. Birth rates of people we want to be having kids is up and birth rates of people that likely shouldn't be having kids is down, but it's so down that it's bringing the whole lot down. So that's really interesting for a brand for us because a brand like us, cause you know, income spending power is actually up because we have older parents in the mix. So I recently received a text around, like, I just started my registry and I am so overwhelmed. I'm sure this is not the first time you've heard something similar to that. You know, how is Lalo, you know, seeking to fit into that problem that a new expecting parent has? I'm understanding. I mean, so parents starting a registry or looking at products, most people shopping any other category have product education. I need to understand why this is better than that. Parents in our space have category education. What is a high mm -hmm. chair? What is infant bathtub? Like, what is that? I have no idea. Like, what are the things I should even care about? If you're looking for a new sets of pots and pans, this is an analogy my co-founder Greg loves. You've maybe cooked an omelet before. You know, like nonstick, not nonstick. Do you like ceramic? Do you like stainless? Like you have some idea, but you might be understanding why one is better than another. And um, or what price point you might want to fall into. But for parents, they have no clue at all. And, you know, 
it, I think it's a brand duty to help understand that, not just sell their product. Mm -hmm. So does that become part of your brand experience, educating the entire process for a new parent? Absolutely. I mean, the type of content that we're, we're starting to do more of and have always done from the beginning is to be there for support, not just in the products, but through the different experiences you go through as a parent. We just did a virtual event on starting solids that had over 1200 people register. I mean, it's like people want information. They're starving for that information and that support and to be a brand that's willing to give it for free is tremendous. Are there, you know, specific communities, whether it be on Facebook or, you know, moms groups that you, you know, find avenues to reach your customers outside of, you know, their traditional like, social media? Yeah, I think that there are absolutely tactics to find local communities. The, the idea of like a one to many approach is always a great way to market anything. It's super efficient, right? So you know, infiltrating those groups can really be done in two ways. One is through guerrilla marketing. The other is through great experience and great product and, you know, letting the brand speak for itself so that your customers just become advocates. And I think, you know, there have been times that both have been, you know, or at least the first has been put into play, especially early on when you don't have that awareness, but now, you know, you know, any mom's group that is asking for rec high chair recommendations, there's no doubt while it's going to show up quite a bit. Has there been any, you know, failures or missteps that, you've taken at Lalo that you feel like you can learn from and that others could learn from? Yeah. I mean, there's no business that hasn't had a failure, right? I think in the early days, the hardest, hardest, hardest part is inventory management. And, you know, we had it on both sides, buying too much of a product, buying too little of a product, and both can be really crippling to a business, you know, depending on your stage, but certainly being out of stock or not buying enough into your demand actually is way more expensive to a business that has the capital to to buy the inventory is way more expensive to be out of stock than in stock with a few extra units. Now there's a few extra units and then there's buying extra like six months of extra inventory. And we've done both, you know, in our history. And and I think, you know, looking back, like getting really, really thoughtful and precise about inventory planning, which we've done in the, you know, in the recent years, like that will has and will continue to change the business. That makes complete sense. So as you think about, you know, continuing to grow the brand, considering, you know, the gifter, the grandparents, where do you see, you know, Lalo in five years from a, a channel perspective? Oh man, in five years. Well, I think our D2C will continue to remain a really, really, really strong channel for us. I think people want to interact with our brand. And I think as Gen Z becomes parents and millennials continue to have kids, that will continue to be a really, really strong channel for us. I think that there are other channels and other retailers that become really interesting plays for Lalo, as long as they're you know brand aligned and understand the value. But for us, it's about reaching parents everywhere we can be. And then you know, I think that there will be that can also change as we go international eventually. Mm. Great. Okay, so what is something that you're bold or passionate about that you could share? Oh man, uh, as far as business work. On, it could company. be anything. Oh man. I mean, I'm pretty asking all the hard questions. Yeah. As far as work, I mean, I'm like a time management efficiency junkie. Mm, tell me more. I, this is like so, a 2023 goal of mine. Yeah. I consider a superpower. The two things, the amount that I'm able to get done in a small amount of time and, and my ability to multitask. Now, Every superpower has a weakness tied to it. And those, you know, there are 
there are certainly weaknesses that are, you know, the opposite end of that same thing. But for me, you know, anything that I'm going to, that will take me less than five to 10 minutes, I just do. I don't add it to a to-do list. You know, if someone needs me to jump in and edit a create piece of creative, I just do it. The other thing that helps with my efficiency is that I like to learn new skills so that I'm adequate to help pull things off my team's plate. So whether that's learning tools like Figma, Photoshop, Illustrator, Excel, CSS, SQL, you name it. Like I will commit to learning those things so that, you know, I can be self-sufficient and be able to not just bark orders, but, you know, contribute and be an executor, be an individual contributor. The other thing is I'm absolutely inbox zero. Like I do Mm. not ever let my inbox go up high and, and my anxiety will go up if I see it really get above 30. So I'm always, always on top. I don't let things dangle out there for, for more than 24 hours. Do you have any like sorting tools or do you use any like superhuman, anything like that for your inbox zero? No. I mean, I do, I've used like, un, I filter my inbox by unread and, and read. Mm-hmm. I archive a ton of stuff. I'll set up some rules to keep certain things out of my inbox. I try to unsubscribe from things that get, you know, that just end up in there. You know, it's really hard right after like you have a big piece of press and then all the salespeople come out of the woodwork. You know, yesterday we were named to fast companies, most innovative companies list. Like today, my inbox is like a bajillion emails all trying to sell me some SaaS solution. But yeah, I mean, I'm just like, I'm on it in between, you know, as I'm walking my dog, I'm clearing things out. I'm answering things. I'm voice messaging, you know, voice typing if I can. It's just, you know, don't try to, you know, I don't like it to add up. It just like allows me to focus and also separate work and personal time too, as much as possible. I love that. I'm aspiring to inbox zero. So I will um, take some inspiration from you. Okay. Moving into our lightning round. What is your favorite omni-channel brand? I think this counts Buck Mason. I think that their online and, and their own retail experience is as good as it gets. Of course it counts. Thing you wish you could change about our industry. Comparisons. Stop mm-hmm. comparing yourself to another brand. I, we did this all the time, especially early. It's like, no, that brand is three years ahead of where we are. Like, stop looking at that. They're not the inspiration. Like, they can be be what we aspire to, but they're not like a, a point of comparison. Favorite podcast? I don't know if I have one right now. I've gone through different phases. I like to keep up on my Michigan football through podcasts. So I listen to <laughs> that stuff. Sounds like the kind of podcast my husband listens to. Favorite newsletter? Also, not a huge newsletter guy, but I do like Nick Sharma's newsletter. I skim it. And I think he's got really good palatable tips for any marketer out there. What is your favorite social media channel? I'm addicted to TikTok. Period. <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, a favorite book? My favorite book is a book called Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. And does that have anything to do with like being good with time management? It actually doesn't. It's less about time management and it's more about avoiding catastrophic mistakes. Ooh. Okay. And are you planning on going to any events this year that you're excited about? Two. I'm excited to get back and hopefully it'll be better than ever to like the big global baby show in Germany called Kindenjugend. And I hope that I'll be attending Michigan in the national championship game this year. Love it. Where can people connect with you, Michael? On Twitter at mweeder. That's the best place to, to connect with me personally. And then of course, at Lalo on Instagram, meetlalo.com. That's it. Awesome. Michael, it was so great learning about Lalo and your journey. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Kate. If you liked this podcast, 
Follow me and The Bridge page on LinkedIn and Twitter for hot takes and tactical advice. If you really loved today's episode, we'd love a review on the podcasting platform of your choice, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening.